everybody, and welcome to the R.J. Moeller Show. Thank you so much for listening. My co-host, as is the case each time, is my good friend Eric Tietzel. He is based in Kansas City. I am in Los Angeles. This show is about pop culture, entertainment, sports, uh, things outside of the uh, regular, you know, sort of socio-political, economic, you know, news, everyone yelling at each other thing. We obviously have our opinions. We're coming at it from certain perspectives. But we are here uh, to engage in things that actually move the needle and that most people are paying attention to and hopefully having a, an interesting take on that. Eric, at Eric Tietzel is his Twitter handle. I am at RJ Moeller. Uh, hit us up. Share a link if you enjoy what you hear. We're going to try to do more consistent episodes upcoming. It's just been a very busy season. My company, Hashtag Productions, is working on a whole series of live events for the spring with different uh, Christian athletes, coaches, journalists. Uh, Eric's working on his first book. So uh, thank you for listening. Thanks to those who even care uh, and have tweeted me and asked for new episodes. We're going to try to get a few more out before Christmas. Um, so this week, we talk about some movies. We talk about LeBron James. We talk about uh, some of the intersection right now of, of sports and um, social issues that are taking place. Um, so yeah, we're going to get to it here. Here's my conversation. Eric Tietzel and I, thanks for listening. See you at the poll. Oh, and one more quick word. Eric had to do this show from a coffee shop, so I apologize in advance for the sound quality, uh, but hopefully you can hear all the brilliance we have to share. That's really cool, man. Now, my, my real question is, are you allowed to eat actual meat in L.A., or did yeah. you have like a, like a kale turkey? Yeah, we had, to, we had to learn. There was a slideshow giving us the full history of the turkey we were about to eat. We learned all about his, its origins, and like that episode of uh, Portlandia, where they go out to dinner and, and want a full dossier on the chicken they're about to eat. <laughs> so everything was cage-free and farm fresh. Well, uh, I'm relieved to hear it, I can tell you. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of tossing and turning and sleepless nights leading up to that <laughs> to make sure that we had the right uh, quality of, of fowl. Your, uh, your, your chickens were given the proper um, acreage for, for wandering. Yes. Yeah, they, they they received positive affirmation from the farmer their whole lives, uh, only the best. But really, you know, it's the kind of thing where, I, you know, I'm from the Midwest, you're from a pretty traditional family too, and, and most people here in L.A. are from the Midwest or from the South or from different parts of the country where they do traditional things and, you know, traditional holiday customs and stuff uh it's really just if you live in like the pacific palisades or you know we're born and raised in santa monica and hang out with jonah hill that you do weird, <laughs> weird things everyone else we hang out with is from you know either from where whitney's from in the south or where i'm from in the midwest so most people are pretty you know when it comes to this sort of thing it's like let's let's get the most unhealthy gravy we can for thanksgiving there's not a lot of <laughs> even though there were, i will say my instagram radar was off the charts there were so many there was photos of people taking photos being posted on instagram at our hipster thanksgiving <laughs> and that's hilarious I, I i won't use any names and it doesn't matter because none of my friends listen to my podcast or anything or read anything I do. But <laughs> so we, we get there and it's Thanksgiving and we're going to be watching football. We're going to be eating a lot and hanging out, eating pie late into the night. And we get there and almost all of the women, the wives and girlfriends and people had, had brought a change of clothes 
and not into something like super fancy, but just more hipstery, like more layers of scarves to wrap around their neck. <laughs> and Whitney and I get there, and I I almost wore mesh shorts just because I knew I wanted to be comfortable, and that's what I would wear at home at Thanksgiving. And, uh, and we get there. everywhere else any other time. Yeah, just basically when I'm awake <laughs> and when I'm asleep, yeah. probably. So, so basically all day. But we get there, and some of the girls were like, oh, did you bring a change of clothes to each other? And then that, of course, made Whitney, you know, be like, oh, crap, was I supposed to dress up? You know, like, no one told us we we're supposed to dress up. But it's just here in L.A., people bring extra layers of scarves and weird you know, sundresses to put on if there's a photo op. Uh, you know, I guess you never know when a photographer from anthropology is going to come wandering around. Exactly, exactly. Or just a, a amateur photographer who loves anthropology and and has a lot of followers on, on Pinterest. Uh, I, just, uh, I just saw today that um, uh, Instagram has topped Twitter in total users. Oh, really? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Well, I think the key thing that Instagram did, and I don't know if they, I'm sure they had some hand in this, but they, I mean, they got, like, LeBron James uses Instagram. You know, like, like they went after, uh, of course, all the artsy photography people already, but, like, they got some really big-name people uh, who almost exclusively, I mean, all those, you know, LeBron has a Twitter account, but it's almost all his just Instagram photos and videos. And so, I don't know, they, they did a really good job. Whereas Twitter started off with a bang seven, eight years ago when they got Ashton Kutcher and people. Instagram has done a, a heck of a job of, of securing, like, you know, across the board, very famous, very popular, younger uh, stars, entertainers, folks like that, to almost yeah. exclusively use Instagram. Well, here's my question, though. Um, can you Instagram while you have your hands up? <laughs> I, oh, man. I, uh, duh. I wanna, so, Should we hit the record button? No. So many, no probably, probably not. So many jokes, so many places. <laughs> I want to take that. Uh, yeah. I, I'll just – I don't even want to go down that road because I have a lot of – a lot of well, what would be funny and wildly inappropriate things to say. Um, well, let's let's just start off. I, I, this podcast that we've been doing sporadically over the past year is much more focused, of course, on pop culture, sports, entertainment. But that here's an example where these things collide. In recent weeks, we've heard from a lot of different entertainers, a lot of different athletes. Even though it's been a, a week or so, the Charles Barkley thing, where he came out um, and and sort of poo pooed. So to speak, uh, the, the the rioting that that, that take, took took place after the Ferguson ruling, and now there was the uh, Eric Gardner story that people will be very familiar with at this point. So, putting aside, you know, the we're not going to break down the legal aspects of this and the political ramifications. But as you brought up, uh, my boy Derek Rose on the Bulls, uh, LeBron James on the Cavs, uh, Kobe Bryant now on the Lakers. A lot of Prominent athletes are wearing the I Can't Breathe shirts. Um, and I don't know, any thoughts on that? I, I know our boy Tony Kornheiser and Wilbon and those guys have talked a lot about it. And I, 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 my only quick thought on it is just um, I think these athletes, of course, should be able to, to 
express things and, and I, I mean I don't know who's everyone acts like people are trying to suppress their free speech if they just raise the question of is that appropriate and then and then people go nuts if it comes up of well sponsors might be a little uneasy uh, with with some of the more vocal or prominently displayed uh, protests from from athletes but I that's how these guys get paid. This is how these people have the platform to be able to do that thing is through a lot of, you know, millions and millions of dollars coming in. And I don't think it's unfair. I don't think it should be the only consideration, but to act like it's outlandish for the league or for teams to at least be concerned about sort of the image of some of these things. Why is that not a viable part of a conversation in this, in this regard? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, uh, we can't deny, even if we might not, uh, people like you and I have often sort of bemoaned that who cares what celebrities or athletes who are celebrities think about public policy issues? I mean, who cares? Um, they're not experts. Uh, they they have every right to an opinion, but their opinion isn't any more warranted than the guy who lives next door to me, right? Uh, as opposed to a, a subject matter expert um, who uh, who knows more about these and whose opinion probably carries more weight. At the same time, you know, I like that we live in a country where uh, uh, people have the freedom of speech and everyone's opinion is part of the dialogue. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great that LeBron... Uh, wants to to wear a shirt. I heard, um, I was listening to sports radio the other day, though, and they had a guy, I don't know who it was, so whoever you are, a guy, sorry, I'm not citing you, but he said, you know, what if, um, what if you had a, a white athlete, or forget that, what if you just had an, another athlete who wore a sh- one of those, um, a shirt with one of those uh, stickers that you see on cars that's um, uh, got two, uh, is it two blue stripes, or is it like black with one blue stripe? Um, that signifies a police officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You see them on yeah. cars sometimes. Like if your family member is a cop or something, you'll stick this the sticker up there. Um, would what, what would the league's response to that be? And what would what would the nation's response to something subtle but obviously provocative and given the current climate be? And and I thought about that, and I have a hard time believing that an athlete in that circumstance wouldn't face some sort of punitive measure from the league um, at a level that uh, these athletes didn't. And uh, and so, and then you can just forget the current circumstances and think, what if a what if an athlete wore a uh, a pro life shirt instead of his typical warm up things? What would the league's response to that be? I have a feeling. They wouldn't be allowed. Uh, we just saw this with uh, with RG3, right? Uh, he came out and had a no God, no peace shirt on, and uh, and then when he when he went to do his press conference a few minutes later, it had been turned inside out because obviously someone had informed him that 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 wasn't allowed. So I don't know. There's a lot of factors going on here, and I think the leagues probably need to decide whether they're going to tolerate free speech in its entirety uh, or if they're just going to say, you know what, we're a private league, we get to make the rules, uh, and uh, you make millions of dollars to be part of our league, so there are some costs. And among those costs is you don't get to make political statements before our games. Well, I know I, I caught a lot of flack in my men's tennis league for wearing my DC Talk Jesus Freak t-shirt. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of blowback, a lot of fallout. Was your uh, did did uh, did your belly wiggle like a 
bowl of jelly. How does that go again? It's, I don't know. I, the breakfast song by Newsboys. No, I don't know. It's, it's, that's the Jesus Freak song, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Marmalade yeah. jelly. Yeah. Toby Mac, your boy. Yeah, that's my boy. Um, no, I agree. And you know the St. Louis Rams situation. Obviously, the, the the team there is Ferguson is is St. Louis. I mean, it's it's right there, and the players have been dealing with it. And those guys that came out and did the hands up signal. Uh, see, here's here's how I feel generally about all this kind of stuff. They're free to do that, and the team or the league or sponsors or the policemen's association that that spoke out, they're free to then voice their criticism what i hate is we're all supposed to let anything go but then on either side when anybody says anything we disagree with we freak out and it just like it it just starts to break down along whatever you know whatever your group is if it's racially or progressive politics or gender uh you know or or sexual preference and everyone just kind of goes into their corner and gets angry and i experienced this even the last few days i wrote an article for acculturated.com about this so-called um you know racial controversy with the casting decisions for the movie exodus that's coming out and and how the main the few main you know the two or three or four main characters are all british or australian actors uh, and people are, you know, flipping out, saying, "Why, why weren't there more Africans, Egyptians?" Um, and and my, whole, my the only thing I said was, "This is silly. This is a 150 million dollar movie." As the director Ridley Scott said, "No one's going to fund a film with actors and actresses no one's ever heard of." So you go get Christian Bale, and it's 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 make believe. They're dressing up and pretending to be people that they're not. And the key question should be, is the movie any good? Did the casting, once you've seen it, did the casting distract from it? Um, but all I know is the Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur and all these classic epics that Ridley Scott's trying to, to you know, introduce a new generation to. Uh, people love those films, and, and it's not a big deal. And you think of great classics like Lawrence of Arabia, where Anthony Quinn who was a Mexican-American actor, played an Arabian sheik alongside Alec Guinness, a.k.a. Obi-Wan Kenobi, who played Prince Faisal in that movie, alongside Peter O'Toole, who played a white British guy. And it's one of the greatest films ever, and no one cares about the ethnicities of the people. And, and, and yes, you want things to be authentic, and I get that, but I guess... All I've gotten, you know, is, is I've got a ton of interesting people on Twitter who insist that this is emblematic of all racism in the world and colonialism and slavery. The casting was, decisions of the movie. Yeah. Did you see uh, Chris Rock's um, interview in one of those L.A. Yeah, the Hollywood Reporter. Newspapers. I, th I thought, um, A, I think Chris Rock is hilarious. I've always thought he's hilarious. Uh, and this interview is no exception. Um, and there, there's some stuff in there that, yeah, I, you know, I just can't get on board with, obviously. Um, but he, he made a point that I thought was interesting, and I want to ask you about it. He said, um, he said, you've got, you know, you've got films that are made specifically for black people featuring black people. And then you've got movies uh, that involve roles uh, where it would just be it would just be weird if you had a, a black person playing that role, right? Like you wouldn't cast uh, Lawrence Fishburne to be John F. Kennedy, right? Right. Uh, and that's legitimate. That's not that's not racism. Uh, JFK was a white guy, so we're gonna cast a white guy. But he said 
there are lots of films where uh, characters are just made up, and uh, and yet they they don't seem to cast, um, say, a, a black actress to play the wife of a white actor in a Star Wars movie where these are new characters that no one's ever heard of. And he and he questioned why not, and. And I think that's an interesting point, because honestly, in America today, I don't think anyone would bat an eye at an interracial marriage being depicted in a movie. I really don't think anyone would even notice. No, in fact, I remember in, in the Star Trek movie, doesn't young James Kirk date? No, no, no. Spock yeah. dates uh, that, that Captain black actress who plays. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara. Uh, uh, and, and I don't remember anybody throwing a fit or, or you know. Even up, even saying anything like, "Oh, look, we've we've this this beckons a new age of of, of racial harmony in America." It was just no one even noticed that that existed. Exactly, and, and so I completely sympathize, empathize, understand, especially someone who is a minority themselves, looking at the history of Hollywood or just the history of American culture and saying it's been dominated by white people and why can't a, you know, a black man get this role and that role and 30 years ago I, I, I could hear that but we, we do live in the era where LeBron James, Tiger Woods, Oprah Will Smith, I mean music is dominated by Kanye and Jay-Z and Beyonce and, and everybody loves it and nobody thinks twice about it and like you said uh, uh, an interracial couple uh, you know whatever film it is I, I guess Yes, we want to be wary of it, but I do feel like a lot of people project onto Hollywood whatever their fears are. Some of them are, are well-founded. You know, people uh, like, like let's say, our parents raised us to be somewhat wary of, of what Hollywood teaches in terms of its values and, and, and with good reason. And we still should be. And, 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 but I also think of what is, the, what is the average depiction of a white male in his 20s, early 30s, in every film, every movie. It's their Zach idiots, Efron. it's their pigs, yeah. <laughs> it's their gross, it's their stupid. I mean, I, I'm not trying to compare. See, and this is where it gets crazy. I, to bring that up, I'm not comparing it to the suffering of, of racial discrimination uh, or colonialism or any of these things. I'm just saying... I don't project onto Hollywood every single thing that I don't like about society, about ways that, that uh, my demographic is treated or depicted. I mean, it's you take it so far, and now we're talking about a movie about, with Christian Bale playing Moses, and, and it's a big you know action, big-budget film, and, and now we have Boycott Exodus movie hashtag going, and people furious with folks like myself on Twitter for even hinting that this isn't very emblematic of, of all racial tensions of the last 300 years. And at a certain point, you just go, it's never been more of a free market to get a movie made, to do your own thing, to produce something, to put a spotlight on talented actors who might be Egyptian. Uh, go make your movie. Go do anything. I'll go see it. No one cares. Is your movie good? Are you talented? That's what matters most in the realm of pop culture. Uh, and it's not the only consideration, but that it seems to be now like the fifth thing, the tenth thing 
that people are concerned about when a movie comes out. Is it any good? What is its message? What are its values? What are its morals? What is it trying to communicate to me? That's all takes a backseat to uh, a breakdown of racial quota. And to be quite frank, African Americans make up what 10% of the population. So is now is that what? When will Chris Rock be happy? When 10% of Hollywood? Uh, roles are, are going to black and 20% to Hispanic, you know, what, I, I just, it's tantamount to when Henry Waxman, the former congressman, uh, was on Dennis Prager's radio show a few years ago, and Dennis just, they were talking about levels of taxation, and Dennis just kind of said, what is, what's the level of taxation, when are you appeased with raising taxes, what is, what is that percentage, when would you be happy and, and say we've reached our goal? And Henry Waxman said, "You know what? I've never, I've never given that any thought." And and you just go, "Well, that's that says a lot right there." You know, that you're fighting for this thing, and you've never even thought, "Well, what is even the end goal here?" So I guess that's that would be my question to Chris Rock or whoever. Is it just when he's happy? Then then we don't have to all be called racist for going to a movie starring Christian Bale as as Moses. Well, speaking of uh, good things in Hollywood. Have you had a chance to check out Black Mirror? No, I saw your email about that and, and it's on my I, I added it to my list on Netflix, but you apparently you think pretty highly of it? Yeah, it's uh, you know, with all the usual warnings about um, about content. Um, though actually I have to say it though though it's extremely um, disturbing sort of thematically, um, the actual uh, content is is not nearly as bad as a lot of what's out there. You know, minor nudity, minor violence, um, but it's more the, the themes that are really disturbing, which is in its own way a lot more jarring, um, I think. But, uh, you know, with those with those warnings out there, um, uh, I've seen the first three episodes, which make up the first season. They're about an hour each. And it's unlike anything I've ever seen on TV, honestly. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, especially the second episode, which is um, called 15 Million Merits. And it's kind of a dystopian world that is revealed to you slowly over the course of an hour-long episode. And just a really trenchant commentary on um, our media, digital age, social media, um, amusing ourselves to death kind of kind of culture. And uh, I think I think you'd dig it. Well, lot. yeah, I, I've we watched a trailer of it on YouTube, and I could not tell what was going on or what was <laughs> happening. And Whitney was watching it over my shoulder and was like, "Because uh, I said, hey, Tietzel said this show's good. I'm going to watch a trailer." And she watched the trailer and she's like, "Tietzel's an idiot. That doesn't look good at all." <laughs> so now I got to convince her to watch it. But I'm intrigued, and and specifically, I love things, of course that have that layered commentary and, and want to um, take a candid look at technology and, and all the different things uh, that are so prevalent today. Um, I, I did get her to start Sherlock, and we finished, oh, yeah. we finished the first three episodes uh, very late to that, and I feel like the 50-year-old the, the on Facebook who's ne- just now posting about Breaking Bad, <laughs> as I see all over the place, like... You know, parents, friends being like, this Breaking Bad shows the bee's knees. <laughs> and you're like, thanks, Grandpa. Um, so Grandpa Moeller over here talking about Sherlock like three years after it was it was a, a thing. That's a great show. Um, 
Netflix is really upping their game each week, each month, I feel like. So many great comedy specials. I don't know if you're a Bill Burr fan. He, he can be kind of crude, and, and there's many things, you know, philosophically, kind of like you said with Chris Rock, there's a lot of things I can't get on board with in terms of his commentary, but when he gets it right and he's on, I think Bill Burr's the funniest comedian alive right now. I've never heard of him. Yeah, he's a, he's a red-headed guy from Boston. I hope you're sitting down. And just, you know, just sort of like a, a snarkier Louis C.K. You know, Louis C.K. can be just kind of irreverent and and but still has a, some heart to him. Bill Burr is just like, you know, uh, uh, a more foul-mouthed Larry David, I guess. Just just taking Larry David's uh, angst and frustrations with society to a, and, and kind of heightening that a little bit. So if you can if you can if you can handle it, if you can hang with it, there is, he did this one bit in his newest, um, I think it came out last week, his new special on Netflix called um, I'm Sorry You Feel That Way. And he does like five minutes on the Donald Sterling thing about how basically Donald Sterling just lived, has, his biggest crime is living too long. <laughs> like he, his, his views, if he had just kept him to himself and died, you know, in 1970, he would have been fine. But they... <laughs> But that, and he has this whole, it's, it's funny, it goes on from there and he talks about uh, how bizarre it is that uh, everyone was so mad at him, but really the only thing he said is, I don't want to see black people on Instagram. And, and he does this fake conversation between Donald Sterling and his, and his girlfriend and, you know, the girlfriend's like, so what about Facebook? And he's like, I don't give a bleep about Facebook, only Instagram, <laughs> only Instagram. I don't want to see him on Instagram. <laughs> and just really, he's good at, 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 you know, obviously what he's trying to do there is show how absurd the whole situation is. But he's also willing to be like, uh, take some tough stands that probably a lot of his more liberal friends don't agree with. So I, I appreciate him. Again, not for kids. Uh, and some people not, might not be able to stick with it but, it. but but I would highly recommend even just some YouTube clips of Bill Burr. He does a bit about how Steve Jobs was way too beloved for, for given how, like what he actually invented himself, which was almost nothing, um, and had other people invent everything. And, and he, he said it, it Bill, uh, uh, that uh, Steve Jobs would just walk around the Apple headquarters eating a pretentious fruit like a pear, uh, <laughs> complaining and telling people, hey, I want to get all my records in this little small cell phone size thing. Get to it. <laughs> <laughs> and people in the audience are like gasping because they don't know they've never heard anybody make fun of Steve Jobs it's amazing I uh, I see he has a podcast do you listen to it yes I have that's that's basically his just weekly rants he he'll talk about when the Patriots are playing he's a big Pats fan he'll talk about football it's it's funny it's worth a listen I don't listen every week but I'll catch it every once in a while and he just Again, sometimes I, I listen to it or I listen to him and I just it's too much and he's too angry and I kind of just walk away. But when he gets it right, and is it... You know, President Obama went on Stephen Colbert this past week and, and I saw someone tweet or post on Facebook something, isn't comedy partially or is it, weren't we told it's about speaking truth to power and, and ruffling people's feathers and now liberal comedians... 
you know, Zach Galifianakis with the show Between Two Ferns, Jimmy Fallon, uh, Stephen Colbert, all these, you know, edgy, funny, trendy comedians, they just completely sell out for their politics. And I understand if the president wants to come on, that's pretty hard to say no to. But the thing I like about Bill Burr is Bill Burr wouldn't do a comedy special where Barack Obama came out. He's making fun of everybody. He's making fun of Bush, Obama, liberals, conservatives, religious people, non-religious people. Isn't that, like, if you're going to talk about edginess and somebody who's got a unique voice, they have to be willing to go after everybody, not just one side. That's not creativity. Yeah, exactly. That's... uh... Uh, uh, he's an equal opportunity employer. Yeah. yeah, an equal opportunity humiliator. Humiliator. <laughs> um, so Bill Burr, that's a recommendation comedy-wise. A couple other things quick here before we wrap up. Um, I, I do want to get a few words on your trip to Rome. I'm fascinated. Lately, Whitney and I have become obsessed with Italy, and we want to travel to Italy. We want to see the countryside and, and explore a little bit of that country. So in one second, I'll ask you, about your trip there uh, to Rome. Um, but I, I, the movie season is upon us. This is when all the good movies are out and, and all the Oscar contenders are released before the end of the year so they can be considered for, for the Academy Awards in February or March, whenever that is. Have you seen any good movies lately what, or anything that you're very excited about coming up here during the Christmas holiday season? Um, yeah, so the last movie I saw was Interstellar. Uh, and I loved it. Uh, we haven't talked about that. And oh, that's right. Time, yeah. But um, I thought it was uh, incredible. I loved everything about it. Uh, it helped to go back and kind of debrief afterwards. I hadn't, I tried not to read a lot going into a movie uh, just because I prefer to kind of experience it on my own merits and then go back and sort of fill in the gaps with people who are smarter than me. And that's what I did, especially with Josh Trevino uh, with Interstellar. Uh, who, who had some really good thoughts just about some of the what people perceived as plot holes or as inconsistencies. Uh, uh, I found it really helpful, his take, which was, don't get lost in the details. This is about the bigger picture. And yeah. uh, in, that, in that light, I think, I think it was awesome. That, uh, I feel the exact same way, and I'm glad that uh, articulate people like him and, and a few others that I also read uh, communicated that. I... I, lo- I, I really liked it. I, I wrote a piece about it just pointing out a few things specifically about um, the question of God. And, and I, the one thing I, I didn't like, and, and maybe, and I think Josh actually on Facebook said that I was wrong about this, but w- spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it yet or don't want to know, fine, uh, stop listening. Uh, but... Wasn't McConaughey basically saying that the people, the reason all this was happening is because humans in the future who are even more evolved left behind uh, traces of things and, and mar- markers for how to how the humanity to progress, thus sort of undermining the idea that there is a higher power? Um, he definitely he definitely said they built this for us or something like that. So, uh Yes, um, whether or not that undermines the possibility of a god, I don't know. It's just because the whole crux of the film was coming down to who's leaving these things for us, and and that's fine. I mean, Chris Nolan, it's his movie, it's his worldview, um, and, and I don't know him personally, and that's totally fine. It doesn't ruin the movie for me if it doesn't have my precise 
uh, view of humanity and, and metaphysics, but I did just get a sense of a letdown as I sat in the theater, and I've only seen it once, and I probably do need to see it again to soak in more of it. Um, and I did love the film. I really enjoyed it, gave it a positive review, but that aspect was a little disappointing, at least on first viewing, that we get all the way to this basically miraculous situation and the only you know the lip service that's paid is to future generations of humans that are really smart yeah i mean i didn't i didn't think that they one i'll say i I didn't think that they in any way like glorified those humans it was like an afterthought it was just kind of like a i mean that whole scene is i think the one part of the movie that most plebes like me kind of went you know wtf like what is happening right now and and why is it happening like this it it felt it felt disconnected from the rest of the film i thought um and this is why i try not to get caught up in it because i didn't want to be thinking like wait there's a library and it's space and time and why is it in a hurry and why is it falling apart can't he just anyway so I just tried to let it go. And they just did have that sort of fleeting reference to somebody way out in the future built this thing for us. And okay. Um, uh, I, I thought that um, it's relatively neutral on questions of, of divinity. I mean, you have one, you have de- these depictions of the universe uh, as just being spectacular beyond comprehension, which is in and of itself a testament, I think, to a creator in a in a way, in a de facto way. Um, and I also think you had some conversations, uh, though they may have been pretty stilted, about um, about uh, uh, values that transcend logic and uh and science right when they're trying to decide which of the two remaining options to go for and uh jennifer garner's not jennifer garner was it jennifer garner no who's the who's the actress that plays the the astronaut not jennifer garner it's, uh, uh, from devil wears prada and hathaway she's she's arguing for love as a legitimate factor in decision making which is a, a transcendent idea uh and a and a uh, a spiritual one in a way um and ultimately it's it's proven to be the right one um so i, I could go either way on that yeah i well no oh man we're already over on time i think you already told everyone to stop listening so it's fine yeah exactly please everyone turn this off uh, i think um I am a firm believer, even though I usually hate this term and I often make fun of it even on this podcast, but with a lot of pieces of cinematic art, and I would consider Interstellar to be one, a lot of it is about the journey, a lot of it is about the emotions of it, it is about the bigger picture of what it it evokes in you uh, mentally and and even spiritually in, in uh, you know, your many cases if you're thinking on that level, and to that end, Interstellar succeeded and it and it entertained. Yes, it was long. Yes, I had to bring a Chipotle burrito in to eat during it, <laughs> and some chocolate chip chocolate chip cookies <laughs> to my wife's chagrin. Um, but I I enjoyed it, and and I, even if he was trying to communicate that it's just evolution and humans and that's what's going to fix things. 
I thought there was a lot of good messages in it. I thought it was very interesting, well made. People should see it if if you're one of the two people that haven't. Um, a couple other quick movies before we close with a few thoughts on your trip to Rome. Birdman is amazing with Michael Keaton. It is an awesome film. It's probably not for everybody. It's kind of quirky, a little artsy-fartsy in parts. But Ed Norton is incredible in it. Michael Keaton is incredible in it. Emma Stone is incredible in it. The story is unlike anything you've ever seen told in ways... Uh, a lot in many instances that you've never seen or just are very unique and and I don't want to give anything else away about it but if you like a good film again more commentary sort of like you were saying with Black Mirror Birdman is all about commentary on our modern culture and a lot of important things a lot of uh, holding the mirror up for us to look at ourselves uh, you know, lines and scenes and situations. It's worth seeing, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if we talked about Fury. Fury is really good. Um, what else did I just see? The Imitation Game was okay. A uh, little disappointed with some of that. I'll have an, a review of that coming out later this week. But there's a lot of good movies right now, and now's the time to see them. So, all right, let me ask you. While they're still you in theater, you, you, you didn't mention three. That well, one only I think one of them is out yet uh, that I really want to see. Um, have you seen Whiplash? No, I haven't. I, that's on my list. That's probably number one on my list right now, behind okay. The Hobbit. <laughs> okay, yeah, I really want to see it too. I think it looks awesome. Uh, 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 American Sniper is one that's on my list, uh, uh, and then obviously Unbroken. Oh yeah, the one that's on yeah, my yeah, list. yeah, yeah. Those, I see, to see. Yeah. those are three others that I, you know, a couple of them that aren't out yet. But ha- uh, Whiplash I haven't seen, and there's also Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal that's supposed to be really good. And again, more sort of thoughtful look at how we do news and journalism in the country, and and not just, um, you know, bashing Fox News the whole time, but but sort of the the crave now that we have for everybody to be a journalist and almost create stories just to get your more Twitter followers or whatever. Um, so that's another film I really want to see. There's a ton of good stuff out right now and, and I love it. And it feels like there's maybe, I guess last year there was a bunch of good movies, but it feels like we are, are Hollywood is lousy with good movies right now, for lack of a better term. There are a lot of good films out. There's a lot of good TV shows out. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see where some of these big, like Unbroken, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm going to see Exodus, Gods, and Kings this weekend. Who knows what that's going to be. Uh, we'll see if I'm distracted by how white the skin tone of all the actors uh, are. But uh, I can't lie. I'm a you know Tolkien fan. The first two Hobbit movies were so-so. The second one better than the first. I'm hoping they kind of go out with a bang here and, and this thing's like, you know, one of the Lord of the Rings trilogy films. Did you see that article from The Onion today about this 47-part Similarian that Peter Jackson's working on? <laughs> I actually hope somebody makes it. Maybe not him. Maybe he needs to take a time out. But uh, that, I don't know. Have you ever read The Similarian? No. I actually, I've listened to it on audiobook. Um, it's, I don't know, I, I've stayed away from it from year, for years because I just figured this is way too in-depth. But there's actually a lot of cool short stories and, and vignettes in that thing 
where I feel like a talented group of people could make a really cool even mini series out of that thing. So I don't know. We'll stop. put that aside. Gosh, please stop. <laughs> I can't get enough of it. I love Tolkien. I'll, I'll take all the Narnia movies. I, whatever, whatever you got, send it my way. L- last thing, very quickly. You got to go to Rome. You got to at least be in the same room with the Pope. What was that like? What's Rome like? Should people go? Are you going to go back again? Uh, uh, y- yes, on all counts, I hope. Uh, Rome is awesome. It's one of my favorite cities. We lived in Italy when I was in high school, uh, about four hours north of Rome. So I had I had been there on a number of occasions before, but not in, uh, gosh, I don't even know, like, like 15 years. Um, so it was, it was awesome to go back. Um, Rome is, unlike anywhere else I've ever been in the world, um, everything there is so beautiful and so old that um, there's literally too much ancient stuff for them to even bother taking care of all of it. And they're Italian, so they don't work that hard at it. Um, so, you know, you're just walking around and it's like, oh, there's a 6,000-year-old lump of ceramic Gosh. But no one cares because the Coliseum's next door, so we're gonna prioritize. Um, it just kind of has that. It just kind of has that feel everywhere, um, and the food is amazing. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, you really, you really can't beat it. I'll say that one thing that struck me that was entirely different from the last time I was there, you know, 12 or 15 years ago, and this trip was um, that uh, there are gypsies everywhere hawking trinkets. You know, just crap to tourists and uh when i was there as a high school student it was like uh it was like those cameras that you um put up like a picture in and you click the little button and it spins and it gives you a different image of some famous site you know it was like a kid's toy kind of thing um like a mattel almost thing Uh Um, or it was you know cheaply made friendship bracelets with an italian flag on them and crap like that this time everyone everywhere was hawking those arm extenders that you use to take a selfie with your phone (laughs) they were everywhere suckers (laughs) and everyone was using them and i was just like you know the world has changed (laughs) <laughs> in a weird way we don't need to read too much into it I just no it, it has it, it is really it is weird. weird and i and i mean as soon as you get married i've like i never took a selfie in my life until i got married like there is something uh that it doesn't mean guys don't and there's plenty of, of dudes who do but I guess what I'm getting at is I'm okay with people taking a selfie with their loved one, with grandma, with uh, you met a famous person, but a selfie just you sipping a cup of joe, we can we can do without. Like the we world's can. gonna be okay without <laughs> one billion selfies of people drinking uh, cold brew coffee. <laughs> and it's <What? laughs> it's bizarre. I mean, it's now at the level of bizarre. And my good friend, our friend, uh, friend of the show, James Polis, a, about a year ago, maybe more, wrote a really interesting piece, sort of in defense of selfies, and 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 uh, maybe I'll link to that in in the post of this podcast episode. So the, the, I, I don't want to take. I'm not saying if everyone who takes selfies is a douchebag. All I'm saying is the world has changed and we're a lot more interested. And I'm just as guilty. I'm not I'm lumping myself in with all of this. We're a lot more interested in ourselves. Um, and I, it, there is commentary to be made there. Not, not overblown. And, and again, not everybody who 
who has a Facebook account or Twitter or Instagram is a, is a narcissist. But I don't know. There are some days where you're just like, I don't know where this is going and I don't even like what I'm doing. Like, so I guess it starts with internally with yourself and I don't want to cast the first stone but uh, I don't know, just hearing that and seeing, especially here in L.A., where this has to be the selfie capital of the world. That's all you see everywhere. <laughs> Beaches, hikes, the downtown restaurants. Again, the aforementioned Cups of Joe. It's just, uh, it's out of control in my opinion. What was it Jim, Jim Gaffigan said? Uh, Instead of enjoying this moment, let's take a picture of it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... I just think of, like, Native Americans who thought the old, like, where you had to stand for five minutes to get a photograph, they thought that was stealing your soul. I can't even imagine, (laughs) you know, if you had Geronimo take a look at what the average, like, high school cafeteria. I mean, let's be honest. Looking back, they they were probably right. Yes. Given where we are. Maybe not for the reasons they thought they were, but they were right. Exactly. They were right. You should write about that. I should. There we go. All right, well, so Rome was good. You saw the Pope. Did you kiss the ring? Did you get close to him? Nah, I didn't kiss the ring. Uh, You know, us Protestants, we kind of have to – there was a hilarious moment. So we're walking into the Vatican, and they have these these crazy armed guards who are dressed like court jesters but that you know can kill you in 47 different ways if they have to. And uh, they were checking IDs and passports before we could get into the Vatican. And I'm standing next to uh, uh, Russell Moore, and I don't I don't mind saying this because he tweeted about it publicly. Uh, uh, who's a you know the Southern Baptist leader, and uh, there's some you may you may be aware that the Southern Baptists and Catholics don't see eye to eye on every single yeah, issue. A few. And uh, 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 he reaches into his pocket for a passport and pulls out a tract of the 95 theses and hands it. To the guard, <laughs> the gates to the Vatican, <laughs> with like a uh, with Luther with a foam finger saying you know, <laughs> Protestantism is number one on the cover. That's amazing. Go team! Yeah, it was it was awesome. That was probably my favorite moment. That's cool. Well, we do know as as we joked about the other day that our friend Andrew Walker was probably in tears the entire time that he couldn't go. And I have to admit. I was jealous. That looked like a pretty cool trip, and it's awesome that they did that and got evangelicals and Catholics and and people from different denominational backgrounds together. Um, So maybe next time we can hear a little bit more about that. But picture me on an ocean in a chest that I hollow. I picture you in slow motion somewhere in West Colorado. (laughs) 